expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Well, hopefully you had a happy Thanksgiving. Here we are at episode 89 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where the reason you only had turkey is because your family wouldn't spring for the ham DLC. Oh, Jesus Christ. Really? <laughs> I'm just saying. Would have been a little more thankful if there was some ham. Yeah, I mean, it is ham, and it is delicious. I enjoyed the cranberry sauce, though. I will say that. I was never a fan of cranberry sauce. See, I'm that guy yeah. that it has to like be from the can. I don't like the fresh stuff. <laughs> you like, I don't. Do you like it because you just like you like the, the formation of the can? When yeah, it, comes it has out? to. Sh- yeah, I have to be able to cut it in slices. <laughs> Although I will say, my wife makes this cranberry. We call it the cranberry thing because it doesn't really have a name. <laughs> it's just a thing. It's this molded cranberry and Jello contraption, and it's got this lovely cream cheese sauce in the middle. It's just fantastic. Wait, speaking of cream cheese, since this is our Thanksgiving episode. Your wife made pumpkin bread last week. You never brought me any, you son of a bitch. That's I true. told her. I told her. I said, Pam, I would like for James to bring me some, you know, some some pumpkin bread because we do work together, and you know, my shift before your shift, so it'd be nice to maybe have some because you have the That's cream true. cheese in there. Oh, sure, Nick. I'll make sure. And what happens? You disappoint me. Best of Again. intentions, and it's gone. She's made two, you bastard. You didn't come in. <laughs> well, it got eaten. <laughs> um, the non-pumpkin bread sharing James with him alongside his poor, sad, sad, and disappointed co-host, the Merkel one arm and an empty stomach, Nick Patagle. I really thought you were going to throw one more sad in there to really <laughs> sell it. At least I know that you had a bowl of feelings after your tryptophan uh, crash out there. Yeah, yeah, man. Went over to my uncle's house, and, uh, I mean, it was fun, man. You know, uh, uh, just a lot of food and, you know, a lot of good times, and, you know, it was that's pretty much it. What's cool is that this was Jameson's first Thanksgiving where he could actually eat stuff, because yeah. last year he was, like, three months old, so you can't really feed him turkey. I mean, he wasn't really really for food, so his Thanksgiving dinner last year was like an eight-ounce bottle, okay? I'm I'm just picturing, because you know we got football on on Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. I'm just picturing on Thanksgiving, Jameson having turkey at like one and having to undo the pants in the recliner. He's got his own little baby baby chair. I don't want to go too baby heavy here, but this kind of relates to that. He's doing this thing now where if I take him to the store, he lifts up his shirt in front of people. (laughs) So he kind of like hulks out. He really does. He's like, check out my belly. He just does it randomly. It's like Chris Hemsworth in Thor. He just thinks they all like little female babies would be like, swoon. What was funny was the judgy look that I got from this one woman when I looked at him and literally (laughs) said, now, Jameson, you can get arrested for that kind of behavior. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you don't get me, I guess maybe that's offensive. I don't know. I don't know. But what's not offensive is who we have on the show this week. I mean, you know, people have been killing themselves on Black Friday, so we thought, why not a little bit of black magic? Yeah, exactly. You know, as, as Queen once sang, it's a kind of magic. We have, of course, 
from the Black Magic series from Image Comics, Greg Rucka and Nicholas Scott coming on and to talk about their new series, which again is Telltale Black Magic. It dives into that whole Wiccan kind of, uh, you know, uh, Covent and kind of thing, and it's really it's a really good series. And what's great about it too is it's black and white, and the art by Nicholas Scott is just amazing. And it's funny you open it up and you go, oh, black and white. But then you start when you start reading, you go, oh, black and white. And Greg and with Greg's writing in the first issue, of course, you know, issue two is out now, and issue three is going to be out December thirtieth. In the first issue, though. Greg puts a very comedic... We're not going to say what it is, but he puts a very oh, comedic beat in the beginning you don't expect coming after that has a serious narration yeah. and it has a very comedic beat, like a breaking of narration, and it's just... It, it grabs you out of nowhere. It's so good. One of the things I really love about the series, too, is that it's one of those books yeah. that makes you really want to keep reading it, and there's just not enough of that on shelves right now, I don't think. Exactly. Well, that's going to do it for our intro this week. Hope you had enough stuffing to... Feed your nerd stomachs, but come up next. We got two new comics this week because it's time to pull out those bags and boards coming up because it's what we're reading. It's come up next here on Down Nerdy. Hi, this is Bob Lee, Fantasy Escape Comics Card, Virginia Beach, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We got our bags and our boards, and we pick ourselves a nice, fresh piece of comic this week. As always, it's time for what we're reading. It's brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragorn Boulevard, Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and the gang and all the great things they have. And hey, if you're a gamer, if you like playing, you know, stuff that has includes a 20-side die or magic cards, he has some things on the weekends, some tournaments you might want to look at as well if you're in the Virginia Beach area. So James, I'm going to go first this week. I kind of went back, actually I didn't kind of, I actually did. Went back to a series that's been one of my favorites of the DC runs uh, as of like last year, I believe. And that was Sinestro. And I'm going to review Sinestro number 16 this week. It's funny because there's been so much depth in that series so far that when you and I have discussed it, that you never really expected. I mean, Sinestro has kind of always been an interesting character, but you never expected the depth that you've been getting from this series. So I'm glad you're going back to it. Exactly, and of course, it's written by Colin Bond. The pencils are done by Brad Walker and Ethan Vanskyver, and uh, inks are done by Drew Hennessy and Vanskyver as well. And colors by Jason Wright, and letters by David Sharp. Jesus, what an army of people on this book. <laughs> well, I mean, the Yellow Lantern Corps does need their army. <laughs> it's true. So this book takes place uh, in Kadak, and it's actually a small town in uh, Sharuda. It's in the Middle East. I believe, and um, he goes here for a certain reason because there's these this group of beings kind of thing, and and they're kind of attacking and wreaking havoc on the galaxy. And he's there's this bishop that he's trying to find, and he's like, well, trying to get information about him. So he travels to this country, and who does he meet up with? Black Adam. Really? Yes. Oh, interesting. He meets up with Black Adam, who's the king of the country, and he says, you know, hey, I need this, your help here. I need to, you know, you have records pretty much. And he, and, uh, he says, you know, uh, I need you to take me to this tomb and I can, so I can find out this information about this bishop who hasn't shown himself yet. And it was pretty cool because, you know, Black Adam, he's, as we know, is the nemesis to Shazam. Mm-hmm. And one thing I like about the Sinestro books is that it actually gives you a anti-hero side of both people, both Sinestro and Black Adam, because there's actually a point where Sinestro is saying, hey, I need to find this out because this guy is going to, and his crew are going to destroy the galaxy. I need to save the galaxy. So think about that. 
A guy whose power comes from fear is taking it upon himself to save the galaxy because the Green Lanterns are no more. Interesting. So, I mean, it's it's a really amazing. I mean, for what he's done in the past books, he's taken, like, uh, people who were former Green Lanterns and given them yellow rings. And pretty much he said, you know, Green Lanterns are done. They're dead. They're gone. You know, Hell Jordan's in exile and stuff like that. And so Black Adam takes me to this thing. And what I like about it is that there's, there's always, as I'm reading this book, there's a part of, like, okay, I know Black Adam's history. Is there going to be a point where he just turns on Sinestro? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say if he does or not because I want you to read the book, but it creates a really good sense of tension. Uh, Bun's writing does, and you know I know we talked a little bit prior about his stint with Aquaman, how he's walked away from it. This is a series that fits him the best mm-hmm. of all his DC runs. This because he captures a side of like, like he gets the people and he actually gives the Yellow Lanterns a humanistic side to them. Like, they get to the town, and people are, of course, greeting them with fruits and everything else. And these are people, you know, who are based in fear, so you don't expect that. Right. Uh, the development with, with Black Adam, you know, he's you know, he, you know he's all-powerful and everything, but there's a part of him that's grounded, dare I say. Right, and, and that, the funny thing about Black Adam is that, for people that don't know, is that Black Adam's one of those villains that honestly believes that what he's doing is for the good of his people and for himself. So it's not just, he's not just evil being evil for the sake of being evil. He honestly believes that what he's doing is the right thing to do. And sometimes that's even more messed up. Exactly. And you know, it's pretty interesting. The thing why I would go back to that tension is because Lissa, who is, you know, Sinestro's kind of love interest, a right hand woman in a sense, because she is kind of like the recorder of the book. She's the keeper of the books pretty much for the yellow lantern. She's the recorder. She's the bookkeeper. She keeps the minutes of the meeting. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean she well she jots down like in her memories just like, you know, places they've encountered. And like, you know, wherever Sinestro goes, she can see that. Like she's pretty much <laughs> His eyes, per se. She's the court reporter of the Green Lantern. She's the uh, stenographer of the Yellow Lanterns. Wow, interesting. But what uh, that typing test was like. Yeah, but I mean, there's a part, man, where you really, you know, I want to go back to that tension where you feel like, okay, Blake Adam, is he going to turn on? Because there's a point where before they leave for this temple, Black Adam says, "Hey, we're going to this place where you know." nobody else in your crew can go. It's only you and I, only a leader of men can go to this place. And so you're just like, he's telling Lissa, like, I don't got a good feeling about this. And so was like, Hey, you'll be there with me through my eyes. You know, you'll be able to see what I see, you know, and stuff like that, even though you're not there. And, you know, you find out like Sinestro is like an archeologist too, which is pretty cool. But the way this ends though, it ends in such a great way. Like, remember how I told you, uh, the Green Lanterns are no more? Yeah. Well, I might have jumped a bit too far on that. Really? Well, uh, it's not really a lantern. It's more somebody higher than the lanterns uh, makes an appearance, and it kind of causes havoc for the entire galaxy. Interesting. Yeah. But with that, I mean, this is a pull for me, man. I mean, it's a really good... You know, not a lot of action in this one. It's more, it reads like a uh, like a middle issue. But, I mean, the, the inclusion of Black Adam, really a, a fantastic job. I loved it a lot. Uh, this is a definite pull for me. You know, it's glad to see that the, conti- the consistencies kind of stayed within that series. But I decided to go a little bit outside of the realm of the stuff that I would normally go, but something that maybe you would be very familiar with. I decided to go with a brand new Doc Savage comic 
from Dynamite called The Spider's Web. So it's a whole new series with Doc Savage. It's written by Chris Robertson, art by Cesar Razik, and colors by Dijo Lima, and letters by Simon Bolin. Now, one thing I love about this right off the bat is that we are in modern times. They have the whole Savage head, corporate headquarters kind of right. thing. But it reads like an older comic and almost like... Oh, an, it reads like a, does it read like a noir? And it doesn't... Not so much a noir, it's more like... You know the you know like the Johnny Quest cartoons and stuff and like f- that. So it reads kind of like the Phantom. It, it, yeah, it kind of does. It's like it's got that old school charm to it, where you you kind of feel like you're being taken back yeah. to an to an '80s or '70s animated series that you used to watch, or a, or a comic that you used to read from that era. It very much reads like a throwback, even though you know because it's got that classic. Okay, we're here doing this, and then this happens, and we need to figure out why. And there is a flashback in this. They actually end up going back to. 1935 because doc savage is like i've seen this technology before and he goes back and remembers the case and the circumstances behind it and it sets up beautifully to where by the end of the issue you know who caused this disaster in modern times Uh but they don't actually reveal it but you know or at least you think you know right who caused it and doc savage has a certain account of the events that we as the reader know is kind of not true, which is interesting. There are certain things that happened back in the past that he didn't know about, that he didn't see, he wasn't aware, that are causing these changes in the future. And what's funny is it seems like in these series, it almost always ties back to Hitler. It really, it, well, yeah, I mean, most of the series that go back to like, the Justice Inc. times, it was set in like 1940s, 1950s era, you know, World War II era. So, yeah. But one of the cool things about this was, and this isn't much of a spoiler because you'll you'll know just by the time period of when this is happening, yeah. that um, one of the enemies that created this technology that they're trying to find out more about back in the past was actually trying to trigger the Second World War before it actually happened. Huh. So he was trying to trigger a World War years in advance so he could sell his technology to a government of the highest bidder. Wow, you, you know, this whole thing could have been avoided had Jed Bush gone back in time and killed baby Hitler. I'm just saying, yeah, but he was too busy, you know, having doodling Mr. Supergirl in his notebook or something like that. <laughs> Pretty much. So, oh, Mr. Kara, I love you. No, but, but it's just funny, but it didn't feel like a trope, though. It wasn't like, oh, well, here we go with Hitler again kind of thing. It didn't feel like that. It, it almost had oh, this... Oh, that Hitler, he's such a scamp. He really is. That little mustache. <laughs> oh, uh, you gotta watch out for that guy. He ruined Charlie Chaplin's look for everybody. He really did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Chaplin. That's why he couldn't speak. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was too embarrassed. No, but I mean, it's a good story. It reads so well, and it's in. There's, it just shows you that there's different types of throwback. We'll be talking about Black Magic with uh, with Ge- with Greg Rucka and Nicholas Scott coming up in our main topic. And this is a different kind of throwback. This isn't a noir style. This is almost like a, it takes you back to your childhood kind of thing. And it kind of makes you feel good when you're reading it. So I, I didn't expect this to be a pull for me when I first started reading it. But as I went along... It, it's a pull for me. The art is solid. It's 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 almost like an updated version of the throwback art. I'm not sure how else I can really describe it. 
And just the the chemistry with the team that Doc Savage has put together. And Doc Savage is is always presented as this larger than life guy, and he's the you know clear leader of the team. But he's not just the brawn; he's the brains of the operation kind of thing. Yep. So. When you have your main character in a situation like that, they do a really good job of propping him up and letting you know this is the guy, but he still needs his secondary team around him. So I just thought it was a very cool series, and I'm going to keep reading it. I enjoyed it. So I got you this. You know, I'm reading you know, The Avenger, and of course I got you hooked on the whole Justice Inc. Mm-hmm. series a while back. Is there any mention or showing of either the Shadow or Avenger? No, they don't even reference them, which I actually thought was interesting because I know the Avenger has his own uh, series that's currently going on right now. So um, now I'm wondering if, I mean, is this a whole everybody went their separate ways thing and we're not going to mention it anymore because I know the Avenger went off and he wanted to do his own thing at the end of Justice Inc. So the Shadow went one way, Doc Savage went the other. But there was always that, hey, if you need us, you call us. So I don't know if this is a step outside, if this is going to be its own standalone story or if there is some sort of tie in there because in this first I mean, issue they don't really bring that up i could see this happening i can see him do this doc savage run and have this and the avenger you know when it ends they've been bringing the shadow and give the shadow his own run and at the end kind of do like what netflix is doing with the defenders mm-hmm. and pretty much tie it all together and bring them back in at the end well, the thing about the series is, is that the device that they are going after, or they're trying to find out more about, and yeah. the circumstances of what they were trying to do, the foiled plot, you could see this being an instance where you got to call the troops in, kind of yeah. thing. It's like, all right, we need to get everybody together and figure out what the hell's going on here because this is some serious business. I mean, this is a this is a piece of technology that could do a lot of damage quickly so i could definitely see where doc savage gets to the point maybe middle of the run saying i can't handle this on my own and that's how it comes in so i could definitely see that happening possibly all right that's gonna do it for this week and what we're reading and uh come up next as i mentioned the defenders but we got another piece of the defenders over the weekend as she made her tv debut of course talking about the one the only jessica jones who will be reviewing the series from netflix come up next on this week in detainment this is comic book writer Elliot Rayhall and Donna Gates, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's been much talked about, and maybe you've binged it already because we're going to be talking about the first season of Jessica Jones on Netflix. And Nick, this one was definitely different from what we saw in Daredevil. Yeah, I literally went through like five mattresses and six sets of box springs over a weekend. I'm just saying, I should have bought, if I'd have known, I would have bought stock and like Sealy Poshtopedic <laughs> and, you know, I just got to say, those poor counting sheep, I to know, have right? to see that, that's, I mean, they're too young for that stuff. For people who don't know what we're talking about, there's a lot of sex between Jessica Jones and Luke Cage in this. And, and don't even try and give me this spoiler alert stuff, okay? Yeah. Because, come on. I mean, I'm not saying there's a problem with it. I mean... But- it was, I'm not saying the problem with it. I'm just saying that it got to a point where I was kind of laughing. I'm like, I know. Or, or I, was, I, was, I was looking at the TV. I'm like, yeah, Luke. Yeah, get it. But <laughs> but it's, it's funny because you know there's somebody out there listening to our review going, gah, spoiler alert. I didn't I know, know they had sex. <laughs> really? Come on. But if you read the comics, you know her and Luke Cage like have a kid and they're yeah. like married. Yeah. You know, I mean. You know, it's if you if you know, if you've done research on it, you would know. What I like about it, though, is that this is like the early stages of their relationship, which I think <laughs> is it's cool. It's cool that they're doing that. So, you know, they're in that honeymoon phase where it's oh, nothing yeah, but uh, so. breaking mattresses and <laughs> s- 
super powered Kegels. That's all it's a, that's all it's about. I mean, you know. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, but I mean, you know, before we dive into this, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a very different show for many other reasons, but uh, you know, I finished the series. It was 13 episodes in the first season. You're where are you? Like episode 5? I'm six? about halfway through. Yeah, yeah. About halfway through. So, you know, it came out, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning on Friday here in the Eastern Time. And I'm like, oh, cool, it's out. And I spent the entire weekend binge-watching Jessica Jones. <laughs> you just sat in there in and, the dark room with a box of donuts and said, and, let's uh, do this. No, actually, I, I sat in my living room alone with a six-pack of Pepsi and a pizza. I hear violins. Does anybody hear violins? Well, it was one of those things like after the 13th episode, I'm like, yeah, binge watched the entire first season. I'm like, oh my God, I don't have a life. (laughs) 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 It's like a sad, it's like, it's kind of like something can make you happy and sad at the same time. It's kind of like, you know, if you ask your boyfriend or girlfriend, like, say something to me that would make me cry and happy at the same time and say like you have the biggest dick of like your entire friends all your friends oh yeah that would be really <laughs> it's just it's just that would be yeah. not good that's right off that wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just one of those things man but i mean you know it, it was just uh yeah it was just one of those things man where you know i watched it and i gotta say this man i've never watched a show that I felt was darker than Daredevil. Oh, and yeah, I'm, no question about it. I don't want to say this. You, it's unfair, I think, to compare the two because they're two totally different takes. You know, I'm told two, yeah. they're two totally different things. You know, Daredevil's more centered on ass-kicking and shit like that. Jessica Jones is more investigative, more well, P.I. Not only that, but here's the deal. There's one character that separates these two shows and made them totally different shows, and it's Foggy. Yeah. There was no Foggy... In the sh- in Jessica Jones at all, it didn't have even that hint of a comedic element. I mean, there was camaraderie in there, like you know, like Foggy has with Matt Murdock and stuff like that. But there was no comedic element to Jessica Jones, I don't think, at all. And I think that separated it. And you're right, there's a lot of procedural, a lot of investigation, which I think was really cool though, because you get to see Jessica Jones isn't just somebody that's messed up and is trying to be this sort of anti-hero. No, she's a legit PI as well as having powers. So I actually thought that that was a good part of the series but like you said man david tennant oh, diabolical man. man oh yeah he is and, awesome and the thing about the show it does really well is that it creates such tension and then it builds up builds up releases builds up yep. builds up releases and it does it smartly and like there's certain things like um there's gonna be a scene i don't think you've gotten to it yet where her lawyer Jessica, Jessica Jones kind of works for does some Carry you know, on Moss's character. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She does something with Kilgrave later in the season that makes you hate her. Wow. Well, I already kind of hate her. She's already kind of a oh, no. bitch this anyway. Will make you loathe her. Wow. Well, like, will it make will it make me hate her like people hate the last Matrix movie? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, but I mean. No, it's just that's the thing. It's like you're like, I, you know, I'm literally certain scenes. I'm like, oh my god, how could you do this? Like, I, I've never done that before, really. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm like, oh, like you know, the whole oh, they can hear me through the glass thing. It's like they oh, they can't. It's like, oh, how could you do this? Or wow, this could happen. But yeah, David Tennant, David Tennant as Kilgrave, he uh, 
pretty amazing. And, you know, you compare him to the Kingpin in a sense. I know you don't want to talk. I said don't compare Daredevil, but this is a good comparison. That This is something that Netflix does really well, at least with these two characters that we've seen, these two villains that they've done. They've made them given and given them very human qualities. Oh, yeah. To the point where you feel sorry for them. And there's a part of you that thinks maybe they can turn it around. Maybe they will be better people. And then you, they do something and you're like, oh, that's right. This is the Purple Man or this is Kingpin that we're talking about. Right, exactly. It's that human element that make that just draws you into these Netflix series and other Netflix series that they've had as well is that they play both sides of the coin so well. They give you what you want from your heroes, but then they take the villains up a notch and they actually give them depth, which is something that kind of lacks in other series. I mean, and I, I don't want to make comparisons either, but you know, I mean, you go to something like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. and they don't really give depth to the villains per se. And, and I mean, Arrow does the same thing. Arrow doesn't necessarily do that, although you get a little bit of that more in Arrow than you do in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with somebody like Damian Dark. But the way that Netflix does this, and you're right, they make you care even when you kind of don't want to care yeah. because you know that like, this is the bad guy. I don't want to care about him. But then, like you said, in Daredevil, you, you did. They make you feel sympathetic. That's the key. Yeah. Word. They make you yeah. feel very sympathetic towards the, the villains. And, you know, with Jessica Jones, it's like, you know, she has her powers. Or she, she can jump high and stuff like that. And she's got, you know, she can stop like car. You know, she's got really str- Super strong strength. strength. Yeah. And I love the fact that they made fun of, I think you've gotten to this point where they make fun of the actual costume from the comics. Oh, yeah, that was she, great. Where, she, where her and you know, her Trish Walker, who's her friend, uh, and I, I want to say this right now, Trish Walker actually, they were supposed to, in the original s- script, uh, Carol Danvers was going to be in the show. But, yep. of course, Carol Danvers, being Captain Marvel, gets put in a cinematic universe and says, okay, we need to substitute somebody. And of course, they bring in Trish Walker. Although, the way things worked out with that, maybe they should have just let her be in the series. Yeah. With her movie getting pushed back and everything, maybe they yeah. should have just let her be in the damn series. That's true. But, I mean, you know, but I, I liked it. that It was sitting in her apartment. She's like, oh, I'm, like, I'm not wearing that. And <laughs> I liked like, it when she turned the mask to the side yeah. and covered her eyes. That was really funny. <laughs> and she's like, okay, now fight me. And she's like, you're right. But it's funny because it's like, you know, that's kind of like, you, when you look at that suit, you're like, yeah, I can't see uh, Kristen Ritter wearing that. You no, know? And I want to say this, Kristen Ritter did a phenomenal job. Did I, did I, I want to say this, did I turn you around on Kristen Ritter? Yeah, you definitely did. I mean, I, and I, and hey, I apologize several episodes ago when I saw the trailer, yeah. okay? But actually seeing her in the show, I mean, she really added a depth that she had a level I didn't really knew, know that she had, honestly. I didn't know that she could go to that place. And it's almost like she she got so far into the character. It was like method acting want, at its finest. Well, I just want to say it pays in this point of view to have resting bitch face. Yes, it does. It really <laughs> does. Because she plays that perfectly. And that's so Jessica Jones in this series, too, that I, I just loved it. But the way she plays the emotions, too, you know? Oh, like yeah. when it's that fear element, when she sees Kilgrave, or when she thinks she sees him, and she has to recite those street names from her childhood and stuff like that to get her back to that place. Or anytime that, when she, um, and again, we're trying not to spoil this because we don't know how far you are. When she finds out one of the people in her life that Kilgrave's controlling, just the emotion that she had at the end of, I think it was episode four or five. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, I right? But I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it for anybody because it's kind of a big deal. 
just the the way she emotes that particular reveal, I thought was beautiful. It was unbelievable. Yeah, and it was. And that's the thing is that she's very excited. You know, I bring the word sympathetic again. You know, she's very she understands what's going on, and it's kind of right. like. But in the same sense, when she sees somebody about to hurt themselves or whatever, because of uh, Kilgrave's commands. She, in a sense, kind of has it. Okay, fuck it. Do what you want to do. You know, kill yourself right. again. I don't give a fuck. You know, kind of thing. But, at but time, it's funny. It's funny, too, because she's almost like she doesn't want to be a hero. Yeah. But she can't help herself at the same time. So it's like she can't really decide. The The underlying theme of the series kind of is the, well, do you want to be a hero or not? And they even make reference to the movies at one point where she was like, you know, I'm not the flag waver. Go talk to them. It's not, I wasn't even there kind of thing. Yeah. So she makes reference to that. So she doesn't really want to be a part of that or does she, she can't seem to figure it out. And you see also that there's a part too, where she's taught to somebody and they're yelling at her, blaming her for shit. And it's, they're like, you know, your people, because, you know, she's considered one of the gifted. Right. And, and the person goes, your people, you know, brought aliens down, destroyed New York. It's like, she had nothing to do with that. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's right, more, exactly. And it plays a lot on, as we go back to our comics and society thing, it plays back on our whole thing in society where we take a certain group of people and you demonize them for something that they had no control over. You know right, what I'm it's easy to blame the masses kind of thing yeah. without actually giving any rational thought to it. And that yeah. was, and what was funny is, is that, in a way, that was an unexpected turn in the series, but it didn't seem like it was just thrown in there. No. It made you think one thing, and then it went totally out of left field into another way, where you kind of get thrown into this, wow, they just went there, and it was random, but it was awesome as hell. And Luke Cage, man, Mike Coulter, holy hell. He is great Luke Cage. Job. He is Luke Cage. Yeah. Mike Coulter, a great, great job. Of course, Luke Cage's series is going to be next. Now... Before we get our ratings, I kind of want to dive into the story that came out the other day where they were talking about season two of Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. And apparently we might not even get that until after The Defenders. I think it's interesting that they're going to possibly wait that long. I also like the fact that Joe Casada and a bunch of other people came out and said, look, Iron Fist is happening. I don't know where you guys get your information from. But uh, yeah, so that's still happening. That's on track. But I mean, if you think about the... Think about the progression now. So it looks like we're getting season two of Daredevil. We're getting Luke Cage in, in the think that order. I think it's going to be that order. Yeah. And then don't you kind of have to do Iron Fist after that? Because well, yeah. you got to get to the Defenders eventually. Well, yeah, because Iron Fist is going to lead into the Defenders. Yeah. So, so, and I think the Defenders was set for like, what, 2020 or something like that? Something like that. I so, I mean, you're getting to that point where you kind of have no choice. But then here's the thing. What this story tells us, though, is that there's going to be life after the Defenders. Yeah. Which we weren't really sure about because it was almost like, okay, so it's going to culminate in the Defenders and maybe that's it. Maybe that's not it. And I think that that's great. And why wouldn't Netflix want to stick with this? But the question is, will Kristen Ritter stick with this that long? Um, that's a long way to wait for a second season. As long, I mean, she's going to do other projects, but I'll say this. In a lot of contracts... Uh, you're pretty much when it comes to TV as well. They mostly will sign you to like a two season deal or how many seasons they want to do. And I'm sorry, but it's Marvel money. You're not going to turn down Marvel money. You know what I'm saying? No, that's true. 
You know, I mean, Christopher, the last thing I saw her on was, it was, on, it's now canceled. It was, you know, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23C or whatever the hell it is. It was, it was Apartment 23, yeah, which she, which she was good in, and it was funny at well, times. Well, I liked her, I liked her in that. But her, she was great. It was just everybody else that was but I, mean, but, I mean, after that, though, you haven't really seen her in a lot. And no. this really puts her in the forefront, I've never really seen her in a leading role before, like, the, as the main person. Well... And, and you know? then here's the other thing. It's then this brings in the whole. Well, will we see them in the in one of the movies at some point? Are they going to be part of uh, Avengers, uh, the uh, Infinity Avengers? Infinity? We'll see. Are they going to be part of that? Maybe. Now, I mean, we don't know. Now I want to bring this because you're so. I kind of want to temper your expectations going into the finale. Okay. The final showdown with her and Kilgrave, you know, for the season, I should say. It's very climactic. But in a way that it's not her fighting him. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. It's done in a way the way they have their uh, that one their their big encounter at, in episode 13 is more through other people. I would say. So they sit down with their action figures and just duke it out. <sighs> let's let's let's, go, let's 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 go old school. Let's just let's just pull out the Jessica okay, Jones action figure do, and the, no, the Kilgrave action figure and let's just go. No, it's not like that. It's like it's like this. It's like Kilgrave has an army of people, and he's trying to get Jessica to pretty much let him, like, let him go and stop the people from doing what they're doing. Pretty much because he's they're under his control. So he says, you know, do this to each other, stuff like that. So he's trying to get away, pretty much. And, yeah, just like any villain would. Yeah, and you know, his whole goal in this is. Um, is he wants her? He wants a relationship with her. Like that's what he wants. Like that's his main goal. Like, he is Kilgrave's entire being is pretty much he is that obsessed fan. He is that obsessed nerd who like will do anything to get that. Well, and you that find girl. that you find that very early on in the series too. Yeah. You kind of figure that out. So that's really not a spoiler at all. You can tell that those are his intentions. Yeah, very but early. She on. is a strong. She's a strong character. The way that. She handles the encounter with Kilgrave is pretty interesting. The only thing that disappointed me in, in the series uh, at the end was the final two minutes on how they ended it, like and, and how they, they the last shot, mm-hmm. because it felt like, and this is before, of course, I found out that they were going to postpone the season two until probably Azure Defenders. It felt like it didn't really give you that resolve, like you know what I'm saying, like you know, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, like it didn't give you that. Oh my god, I need season two right away. Like it's a good show. Right. But it just... It, it, it didn't give you that feel that Daredevil did when Daredevil ended. It's your, yeah, well, I mean, it's your typical camera goes down, goes away from her down the hall and the lights end pretty much. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, it, it, it's hard to describe without I, I see what you're it. saying. I see what you're saying. But, uh, yeah, it's just, if you're thinking it's going to go out like, with a big bang or anything else, temp your expectations. Um, but it's a good show. I love it a lot. Like, it's just the way they ended it. Now knowing what we know... They ended it in a way where they're like, "Yeah, we're not gonna have another season for like a couple of years, possibly." So they ended it the way they needed to end it. Then is what you're saying, kind of. Thing. Yeah, but even though it's a little bit, albeit disappointing, a little bit. Okay, well then it's it's rating time. Given that, I mean, scale of one to ten, mind control devices. <laughs> what would you give this? What would you What would you mind control somebody well, to give this as their rating? Going into the show, of course, neither of us, I think, really knew much about Jessica Jones, if really much at all about her, outside of what we've seen and kind of read on uh, stories. Um, this show is a lot different than Daredevil. I think it's a lot darker. I think that, again, 
it makes you f- sympathetic towards Kilgrave. You know, you know he's a terrible person. Person, and uh, uh, the thing is with the show is that I like attention. Attention is something that you know, if you're looking for a show with great attention and doesn't overdo it and doesn't drive you madly insane with it, I gotta give us a nine. I'm giving okay. it a nine out of ten, dude, because this is it's really good. Like I said, the only issue I could find in it was the fact that the the final two minutes of the whole entire season uh, didn't really do it for me. But um, I mean, that's you know, that's that's how I view it. And I wanted to say this before we get to your your rating. Um, I've been reading a lot of reviews about the show lately before we even reviewed today and we started recording. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the hatred from the show, and I can tell us right now, is for people who don't know anything about Jessica Jones, but they just feel like it's cool to hate on something that because they don't know much about it. Well, yeah, that's that's Twitter, that's Twitter for you. <laughs> yeah, but this is the type of show that it kind of makes you want to go back and maybe, hey, if they do come up with a new Jessica Jones comic series, maybe I might be all in. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see them do, do this take on Jessica Jones in a comic series. I think that would be really cool. I think I'm slightly below your your rating a little bit. I'm going to go eight. Um, and, and maybe it's because I'm not as far ahead as yeah. you, so maybe that's got something to do with it. But, I mean, there's a character or two I could have done without. Um, I, I guess I understand why they put them in there, but then certain directions that they took with, with a couple of the characters, I was like, ah, really that quickly? Yeah, okay. And I, I can't give it away cause it's a spoiler. So well, but there's, there's a couple of characters. So I'm like, really? You're going to go that route now? There's a, well, I mean, one character, it's not going to spoil, but one character that kind of caught my ire a lot was the redheaded neighbor she had. Yeah, then yeah, that's one of them. Cause, because yep. as the season progresses, she's more and more of a bitch. Like, it's just like. You just feel like her that's her entire thing is just to hate Jessica Jones. Like her they don't give her much to do. But so you're just like ah. And it doesn't add anything though. That's no, it thing. just adds frustration. It's and all I'm not and, and I'm not trying to nitpick here, but I'm just saying that, you know, uh, there was a reason for me that Daredevil was a ten, and I, I again it's hard to not go back because they're from the same two people. I don't want to compare the two and I'm not trying to do that, but I'm talking about just feeling wise when you're done with the series, not comparing the two, how I felt at the end of daredevil or at that point that I am in Jessica Jones. Now in daredevil, I had a different feeling. I was a little bit more amped. So that's why I got to go slightly below what I gave daredevil and give it an eight. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, overall, okay. Now I got to ask you this question before we wrap and go to nerd news. I know what happens in the entire season. What are you thinking is going to happen in the entire season? I kind of want to revisit this maybe next week. Okay, and I want to preface this by again saying that I am on episode six, so yeah. I do not know what happens. So this can't be a spoiler because I'm not omnipotent and I don't know these things, okay? Yes, yes. Um, the way I see it is that I think we're going to see Jessica break down a little bit. As we get towards a final showdown with Kilgrave, I think you're going to see times where she sort of breaks down. And I know that eventually, I think eventually she's going to go to Luke Cage and be like, look, I do need your help after all. Here's what's really going on because she kind of, she likes to keep people at a distance because she thinks she's keeping them safe. Uh Okay. So she kind of tried and she did that to a certain extent with a lot of people in this series. But I think she's going to come to realize towards the end that I need people's help. And she's going to accept that, and he's going to be part, at least a little bit of a part, of the final showdown with Kilgrave. As far as the final showdown goes, I I, I kind of wasn't sure how it was going to play out, but I know she's going to probably feel like she needs to deal with him on her own. And it should be interesting, because I'm not sure how he can hang with her, 
other than, like you said, throwing an army at her. So I'm very interested to see how they do that and exactly how the final showdown goes down because I'm not sure exactly how they're going to work it. But I know it's probably going to be her by herself. Oh, I want to tell you so bad. <laughs> I want to tell you so bad, but I can't do that. I'll get there, man. Well, that's going to do it for Geek Team Cup next. We got nerd news. We got a few stories this week to talk about, and some of them maybe uh, piqued our interest a little bit. What is it? We'll find out next. Nerd news coming up in Down Nerdy. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We go around the interwebs and see what's trending and what civil wars are happening around the world. It's time for what, James? Nerd, nerd news. And well, let's just dive right into it, shall we? This week, Jimmy Kimmel had a special announcement he made. He said some of the cast members of Captain America's Civil War were going to stop by with a treat. And, of course, we got that special treat. And it was the first trailer for Captain America Civil War. And I wonder why is this geek tame it? Well, because it's just a big goddamn thing. And it blew up the news thing. When we posted it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash down nerdy. It had over 1,300 shares. And not only that, but, I mean... This happened after we recorded Greek Geek Tainment, so screw it. We're talking about it now, quite yeah. frankly. So, and with that being uh, said, I know you have a rant. You told me you had to do, so I'm going to let you rant on. What is it you got bitch about this week? All right, here's the deal. We're going to get into the meat of the trailer in just a second, but I'm kind of tired of people comparing the Marvel Universe to the DC Universe because you, they saw the trailer, and there was a lot of emotion in the trailer, and we'll get to that in just a second, but... I've seen people say, oh, this is just a level of emotion that DC is never going to have. And this is why (laughs) Marvel does things so much better. I'm like, look, okay, if you can't tell the difference between what Marvel's going to do and what DC is going to do by now, I can't help you anymore. I'm sorry. I just can't help you. And I still think it's stupid to pit one against the other. And I think that, I mean, what do you want? Do you want DC to come out and be exactly what Marvel's being with Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, and all those people? I don't, I just think that's dumb. Do you want the same set of movies with different casts of characters? No, we want something different. We want depth. We want other things to enjoy other than, and I'm not saying Marvel's doing anything wrong. I'm not saying DC's doing anything wrong. But can we get it through our thick friggin' skulls, some of us, that they don't have to be the same thing? and they're not competing against each other. They're trying to make good friggin' movies the way they want to make them, and I don't think either one is doing it the right or wrong way. So shut up and start enjoying things for once. In the end, I really think this whole Marvel-DC rivalry is all fan-made. I really do. I, I really think... I mean, yeah, you had, Sam, I mean, you had Sam Jackson kind of taking a shot and so and such, but I think it's more just fun than like seriously like saying well dc is shit you know does it not drive up ticket sales for both of them and that's the thing is that you know it does you know we live in a society like why can't we just have both i'm sorry ultron wasn't that great you know like like and i i just want to kind of go on a little bit mini rant i love marvel we both since episode one we've pretty much said you know which side we not essentially root for what we grew up with right i grew up with marvel you grew up with dc i am sorry but if you're one of these people that are so blinded by the red rectangle with the white Marvel letters in it, to the point where you're saying, oh, all of Phase 1 and 2 and whatever, great. You're fucking wrong. You're looking really through rose-colored glasses. It's like, I'm sorry. not like Iron Man 1, awesome. Iron Man 2 and 3, not so good. Iron Man 3, I hate. We, I'm not going to go on that. You know, Thor 1, 
meh. Thor 2? Eh. Oh, meh. You know, not really great. Captain, the only movies, I think Marvel, is, I want to say it's from a trilogy standpoint, the only movies Marvel has gotten right 100% is Captain America. Yeah, they've first knocked of, it out of the park. First Avenger, fantastic. You know, second in a, in a wartime, you know, in an early period, mm-hmm. making a period piece, fantastic. Uh, Winter Soldier, I saw that shit twice in a theater. Yep. Civil War, it looks epic. You know what I'm saying? Like, it does. You know, and the thing is, you know, who knows, maybe I might change my tune when I go see it because, you know, it's just a trailer. You know, but again, I hate the fact that people say, well, this sucks. It's like, why can't we just enjoy what we have. And you know what? I think, like like you were saying, and I think that, you know, me growing up with DC, I don't think it's clouded my judgment on Marvel because I've loved a lot of the Marvel stuff. I mean, go back to the Nerdy Awards. That was basically all Marvel, and that's just not just because that's what movies were out there. It's because, like, um, like Ant-Man, I thought was a great performance by Paul Rudd, and I thought it was a lot better movie than I expected. So I think I've praised Marvel quite a bit, but that doesn't mean you cannot praise DC. And you know what? Maybe Batman versus Superman's going to be a bad movie. Maybe it will. And if it is, I'll call him on it. I'm, I promise you I will call him on it if it's not a good movie. But at the same time, can we just... I mean, if you're just to the point where you just hate a certain publisher or a certain you know, genre, I, I feel sorry for you because there's just so much you could be enjoying, hating, you know? I want to say this before we can, actually, we can actually move on to the trailer. Hating one publisher is kind of like hating Nickelback, except with Nickelback, it's, you know, it's, it's worth hating them. You know, they have a reason for you to hate them. Right, well, like, there you go. You know, but let's move on to the trailer because I think people are tired of us bitching. But, uh, you know, the trailer, it dropped last night about midnight, and, man, it's a lot of... You know, what we say in a previous podcast, he said what? Sebastian Stan, hey, he's going to have a much bigger role, and hey, he's going to probably be the catalyst for what happens with Civil War. Oh, no doubt. And I think that this is where that nine-picture deal for Sebastian yep. Stan that he signed all those w- months ago is really going to start to kick in because I think this is going to be where you might start seeing Bucky in almost every movie from here on out. Maybe not like Ragnarok or something like that, but you know what I mean. He's going to be a main theme going forward and even into the infinity wars and stuff like that, because this is where the fissure starts. This is where everything starts to break down a little bit. And maybe by the end, you know, everybody kind of comes together and says, Oh, well, maybe Bucky's not such a bad guy kind of thing or something. Cause we don't really know how it's going to end, but this is, this is Sebastian Stan's chance to take this movie by the balls and really run with it and become a major player in the Marvel. Well, not just that, but just, this is his chance to really, command the screen. I mean, he did in Winter Soldier, but he wasn't the, really the main focus, but this is his really chance to really capture that moment. And I think, because with Civil War, I think Crossbones is going to kill Captain America, because I think this is the last movie, I think, for Chris Evans. I'm not sure. There's been I think, a lot of conjecture about that. Nobody really knows what's going but on. But I think Crossbones will probably kill Captain America, and Bucky will take over for him. And that's going to be really interesting, because, I mean, think about that from Tony's perspective then. You know, with them battling in this in this movie, if Crossbones does kill Captain America, what kind of effect is that going to have on Tony Stark and Iron Man's psyche going forward after having battled his friend? You well, know? not just that, but you know, you see, of course, Thunderbolt Ross in there, of course, um, played by Mister William Hurt, and uh, you know, here's the, here's the great thing about that is that he brings up a great line, which is like, you know, you've at you know. People look at you as a hero, but what we view as is a vigilante. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, we see them pass a big, pan- the big, uh, 
bounded book that has the registration act on it, yep. it looks like. And it's one of those things, man, where it's like, okay, we finally figured out how we're going to, you know, because you don't have the X-Men in there. You don't have, you know, the Fantastic Four or Doom in there. They've done it perfectly to where they can fit mm-hmm. what caused this whole registration act into the Marvel Universe. And it's a really great thing. And it looks like, you know, they have the Avengers headquarters, Cap's the, the main man, you know, he's the head of it. And it really, you know, we're going to see a taking of sides. And it's really going to be an interesting thing because this is going to be really the first sets of infighting we're really going to have where somebody's not under mind control or anything like that, you know? This right. is going to be, you know, and I want to tell you this right now. Black Panther looks fucking amazing. Yeah, he really does. And, I mean, I, I've seen a couple of people criticize that look a little bit. Look, I mean, you got to modernize it a little bit, and I think that they did a really good job doing that. And I think they've done that with all the suits going forward. But t- speaking of the action, yeah. That scene in the trailer where Bucky and Cap are basically playing hot potato <laughs> yeah. with the shield beating up on Iron Man, that was that was pretty awesome. But it, in a sense, that was awesome. It was also kind of sad, though, too. Yeah, you know what it I'm was. Saying? Because it's like, you know, Tony and Cap, they were friends. Like, Tony says, you know, Cap says, sorry, Tony, but he's my friend. Tony says, so is I. And when they're beating up on Iron Man, it's just, it really hit me. Like, I'm just like, wow, this is awesome. But it's also just sad, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because, I mean, but you've seen the tension kind of building a little bit throughout, and I think that, I mean, the creation of Ultron and in Age of Ultron, I think that that was a, that's going to be one of the big things to where the trust kind of started to go away there yeah. a little bit, and I think that that's kind of what set the tone, and I think that's one thing that Marvel does so well, is they set the tone throughout their connected movie universe anywhere. They set the tone so well that they're always looking forward. And that's one of those things you could look back on and be like, oh, well, that's one of the things that started it right there. Exactly. And I mean, it's just, it looks so fun. And, you know, they had that, of course, that big battle where, you know, and the thing is, we notice this too. We don't see a lot of Iron Man's side, his crew. Outside of, I believe Black Panther is going to be on Iron Man's side. And it seems like Black Widow's on Iron Man's side? She is. She is, because her and Hawkeye have a split. And as a, yeah. And, yeah. Her, so, it, so pretty much the people we know are on, on Iron Man's side are, you know, Black Panther and, and Black Widow. And, um, you know, of course, it causes Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch to be on Cap's team and Falcon, of course. But... There's somebody we didn't see in a trailer that I was kind of also getting a little bit irritated by people saying, well, where is he? And that was Spider-Man. Because, of course, Spider-Man also plays a major role in, in Civil War. Right. And, you know, Spider-Man, of course, Tom Holland's, you know, he's playing him. Listen, from what we're hearing, and I know it's early on, there's been lots of different reports, but from what I've been reading a lot of, it looks like Spider-Man, and it kind of sucks, but it looks like even though he is really a big part of Civil War in the comics... It looks like they're kind of going to hold him to probably like maybe third act or maybe he's going to be a cameo or something. Right. Well, I mean, here's the deal. Think about it. Think about how this all went down. They basically had to write him in. Yeah. This movie was done, basically. It was in the can. This was written. This was done for. So when you have to write somebody in like that, how much of a major role can you really make them without possibly screwing up the entire structure of your story, which I honestly... And I think that nobody would disagree with me on this. It's more important. It's more important to have a strong st- structure of story than to work Spider-Man into it because you just happen to get the rights to him at the last minute. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of somebody who, well, they don't have to worry about the rights to, to this person, um, but it's also been you know announced over the weekend. We got our first look at Gal Gadot and her Wonder Woman solo film. Of course, it was really just more of a 
body shot of her in a, in a green cloak. <laughs> they but, threw a hoodie on her and they yeah, said, they hey, look, a, it's new. It's new. <laughs> um, but also with that, we got who's going to be starring. And, of course, we got Chris Pine, who's going to be, of course, playing Captain Steve Trevor. Robin Wright is going to be in it. Danny Hudson is going to be in it. Uh, David Thule is going to be in it. Saeed T- uh, Tamoni is going to be in it. And Elena Anaya is going to be in it as well. And Ewan Bremer from Exodus Gods and Kings and Snowpiercer is going to be in it as well. So, again, we don't know outside of who Chris Pine is playing. So let's let's do a little bit of a, a searching here, James. Who do you think – we're not going to go through everybody, but who do you think is going to be the main antagonist? And I'm kind of curious to see who Robin Wright's going to be playing. I think that it's pretty safe to say Robin Wright's going to be playing Hippolyta unless unless they've still got the whole Nicole Kidman thing on right. reserve. Maybe that's still happening. Maybe it's not. So, I mean, that's a possibility. Um, as far as the big bad in this, if we're thinking Aries, yeah. and I think that that's probably a safe bet right now, I mean, do you go with Danny Hudson or do you go with Ewan Bremmer? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Um it could be – here's what I think it will be. I think it will be Ares. I think Ares will be the main bad. However, I think when they go for like Wonder Woman 2, I think – and this would be smart of them to have a, a uh, kind of a, a stinger with Donna Troy. And that could lead into her – Right. Because right, remember right now in the current run, Wonder Woman is the god of war. Right. So she could kill Ares, get the god of war – you know, title, and then that causes Donna Troy to come in, and we'll see kind of like that whole thing we're seeing with the Finch run uh, in the current Wonder Woman series, where Wonder Woman in the beginning was having a struggle time between balancing her life as a member of the Justice League and a member of, you know, the, the God of War, Queen of right. the era. Right, I think you definitely need to work Donna Troy in at some point. I don't think you need to do it now. I do understand what you're saying, though, and I, I totally agree that you work her in somewhat soon and then you don't have to worry about working her in later and you've you're set like you said for wonder woman 2 and i know i mean you kind of want cheetah to come in eventually though yeah so i mean i I know that you but i don't see how you can do that in this setting so that's why i don't think that we're going to see cheetah in this movie because in the setting that they have it doesn't work maybe they do sneak donna troy in now maybe they do but i don't see how you do that without going aries yeah i think this movie was what 75 years in the making close to yeah and here's the thing you have to go big bad in this and aries i think is the biggest bad that one woman has of course outside donna troy and cheetah but cheetah honestly though i view cheetah as kind of like a uh uh you know you have a, a batting lineup okay Cheetah, I think, is DHing probably, or maybe a third batter. When you look at, you know, Aries Don Troy, I put Cheetah third. So, I mean, maybe we won't get to her until the third film or something and, like that. And, and assuming that we even get that far. I mean, you know, that's, that's but way again, down the line. But again, as we've seen in a lot of these movies now with comic books, they like having two or more villains in there. Yeah. You know, or, and so maybe they'll have Don Troy and Cheetah team up, or who knows, maybe Cheetah will be in there. But maybe, or maybe they'll do with Cheetah what they did with. Uh, uh, Balrog the Leaper, or Bartok, the Leaper in Winter Soldier, where she'll be like, have 10 minutes in the beginning of the film. And that's I it, see you know what, what you're saying? saying. Yeah, so when we go to the transition point, when she's still on Earth, maybe we see her quickly battling Cheetah yeah. before she got. Yeah, yeah, I could see them doing that just to get it in because you can't do that with Donna Troy. Yeah, no, you so can't. So if do you're going to do it, yeah, that would be, yeah, that would be a good way to do it. But yeah. I mean. <sighs> 
I, it has to be Aries. Yeah. It just makes too much sense for it to not be Aries. Yeah. So it just be very interesting to see. And, and maybe it will be Danny Hudson. I don't know. So it, it just be interesting to see what they do with it. Cause like you said, we don't really know a whole lot about it. Maybe it's because they're kind of holding their cards a little bit because they have plans that they don't necessarily know if they can do with the cast that they already have. Exactly. And of course that's set to open in 2017 and what's set to come in a couple of months, actually really soon is legends of tomorrow, James. And well, I know this isn't geek tame, but Hey, they released it's not our fault. They released another trailer and it was freaking amazing. Not only did they release a trailer, but if you were paying attention, yeah, there were a couple of pretty serious name drops. Oh yeah, in those trailers, I've seen Dark Knights Fall and Men of Steel. I mean, really? I've seen Dark Knights. I've seen Men of Steel die and Dark Knights Fall. I mean, did that really just happen? That just happened. And why are we bringing this up? And why is this newsworthy? Because if you remember a while back, CW, DC, and Warner Bros. said they're in two separate universes. So. Could this be we might just get Superman and Batman in name only? Or could this be... I'm not saying Ben Affleck's going to appear on Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, no, that's ridiculous. But but could we see something like what Supergirl's doing, where we see Superman or we see Batman, but we don't see their face, but they're there. And I know that that aggravates some people, but I actually think it's really smart. Oh, yeah. So I, I think that you know we need to kind of shut up about that a little bit, too. But here's the deal. What they're doing is they're acknowledging something that they have yet to acknowledge since arrow started. And I know we like to call it the arrow verse because it was the first one. So we'll just go with that. What they're doing is they're acknowledging that Batman and Superman do exist right in these universe, in that universe, not necessarily the ones we're seeing on the screen motion picture wise. They're acknowledging that they exist period. And that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's because big. it opens the door. Well, it opens the door and it's just it gives you so much more interest because remember, Legends of Tomorrow, remember how you know they had Green Arrow, now they have Flash. Now Legends of Tomorrow deals with a lot of smaller characters. Granted, they had a lot of screen time, but they're still in the comic sense small like Adam and you know, I mean Heat Wave and White Canary now and 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 I I I got to tell you this, man. I am in love with Firestorm's new suit. Oh, I am too. And I know the cosplayers are probably trying to figure out how they can safely light their heads on fire right now. <laughs> so, uh, hey, be careful with that. I'm just saying, don't try this at home. But no, it's a great new suit. And the whole trailer just had a great feel. And it, was, it had that sci-fi feel, but at the same time, it almost had that, you know, almost, we've talked about noir a thousand times. It's almost had that noir feel because you've got the time travel aspects going on there and you're visiting different points in time and in history. What's not to love? Exactly. You know? Oh, I mean, what? it's just, it's so much fun, dude. It just, Adam kicks ass. I really hope that when we go to a, a con, I want to see an Adam cosplay. I know, just like a legit, really legit. good Adam cosplay. I mean, we saw a steampunk Buzz Lightyear last year at the last con we were at. So, I mean, why not a full-on Brandon Routh-style Adam, Adam costume? I'm just saying, you know, I'm still looking for that uh, that parka hoodie so I can get my Captain Cold cosplay on. <laughs> I haven't really been able to find it yet. Maybe I need to go to North Face or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to find it. It's happening. Oh, imagine if we went to a con as Heatwave and Captain Cold. That would be really interesting. <laughs> I would, I would totally be down for that. That'd be, that would be awesome. Speaking of something that we're down with, we're down with some black magic. And come up next, got our interview with Greg Rucka, who's the writer of it, of course, and Nicholas Scott, who did the beautiful black and white art for the series. And we're going to talk to them next on Down and Nerdy. 
This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We know there's a ton of great series coming out from Image Comics, but one definitely caught our eye in a very magical way. It's called Black Magic, and it's from Nicola Scott and Greg Rucka. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing very well, thank you. Very well, thanks for having us, fellas. Greg, you know, you're here in America. Uh, what are your guys' plans for this special week, and are you guys ready for the holidays? Oh, well, I actually have plans. I mean, Nick, I know what Nick's plans are. <laughs> what, working? Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't get a day off or anything. No, she no. does. She's, she's, getting, she's getting quicker. Uh, and yeah. she's got a break coming up. Uh, yeah. so, no, we... Uh, my birthday is actually on Sunday. It's the 29th, so I, uh, I am a, a Thanksgiving-era uh, baby. So um, for many, many years, my, my wife has been trying to arrange a, a birthday trip to uh, Disneyland, and uh, we're actually doing it this year. We're going down oh, Thursday. Wow, that's cool. In the park on Thursday, and uh, we're coming back on, on Sunday. So this is... This is a big deal for me, actually, because also most of my, my birthday normally tends to be a smoldering wreck of a disaster. My, my birthdays are almost <laughs> invariably dumpster fires. So, uh, you know, this, it's Disneyland. How can it go wrong? Exactly. It's so yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, are you a big Disney fan? Is that re- the reason you decided to pick that destination? I don't think I'm a particularly big Disney fan. It's just something I've always wanted to do. I've been there. My 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 older sister uh, has Down syndrome, and um, we took her to Disneyland for her birthday once, and she just, I mean, glowed the whole day. And you know, I've got two kids. Um, my sister's going to come, and sort of being able to use it as an excuse to provide that experience um, is awesome. You know, I mean that that that's an argument for it right there. And then there's there's bonus points in it because um, uh, because of the work I've done on 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 Star Wars for both the mm-hmm. the, the middle reader books and the um, and and Shattered Empire. Uh, I I've got a little I've got a little park cred, so uh, we're gonna take that out for a spin. See see if yeah, I, that'll be fun. If nothing else, see if I can't use it to maybe move to the front of a line at some point. There you go, <laughs> yeah. Fast pass because you need. I work on Star Wars. There you go. And they'll look at me and go, uh-huh, you and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So let's get to Black Magic. So, Greg, what do you make witchcraft so interesting to write about? And, Nicola, what for you makes it so interesting to draw? You've asked a, a, a more complex question than I think you realize. <laughs> <laughs> well, magic is very complex. Well, yeah, and I think that that's part of it. So I think one of the things that's been going on is that, you know, I, I like many, many readers of, of, of fantasy and, 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 and similar, you know, ma- magic gets presented so often as, um, as a cheap solution. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets presented as a cop-out. It gets abused as sort of a deus ex machina. There's never a price. Or, no, that's not true. But we can, we can go down the line and you can see stories where magic has a price and where magic doesn't. And so I, I think that that's always been an element of fascination to me. I think one of the things about this in particular, about black magic in particular, is that, you know, the root definition, our working definition of what magic is, is the ability of the individual to impose their will upon reality. 
And the second you enter into that discourse, it raises all sorts of questions. It raises questions about entitlement. It raises moral and ethical questions about one's right to do that. And, you know, I mean, if you can't figure out how to tell a story playing with those themes, then, you know, sit down and, 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 and go do something else. So that is, I think that is an enormous part of it for me. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I don't like it as, um, for the most part, I'm not happy with it when magic is clean. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, it needs to be, it, it needs to be tactile and dirty for my, and, and, and dirty as in, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to use it as a, yeah, as a pejorative, but as, as, as a sensual experience, as, as something that requires blood and sweat and effort. Yeah, um, it, I agree. Something that's so, pretty much like you got to train for pretty much kind of a thing. Yeah, and that it's got a, it's got a, you know, th- there's an engine and there's a price and there's mm-hmm, a danger. Mm-hmm. And you don't just, you know, you don't just go mucking about. So, I mean, I, I, all of that appeals to me. And like I said, I mean, as, as speaking as a, you know, from a dramatic point of view, that's currency that as a writer, you know, perfect, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, and from an artistic point of view, like I've, I've always really been interested in magic and witchcraft. And while I really love fantasy, the idea of, magic in sort of fantasy novels and fantasy games isn't the one that really gets me going. I kind of, uh, the kind of magic that I'm, I'm the most fascinated by is the sort of borderline real world dark shit that can really, you know, that can really sort of cross the line. Oh yeah. yeah. I find really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as Greg was just saying, that thing where you have to, you have to really sort of pay a price for anything that you do. And that, that sort of, yes, yeah, sensual is not quite the word that I like, but it's a, it's actually a really appropriate word. It's really sort of earthy. It's sort of, it uses blood and nail clippings and grave dirt. And it's, it's, it's something that's almost tangible, it and that, you know, exactly, put those ingredients in the hands of, and it's it's, uh, it's tangible. Someone, yeah. It's making it's making the intangible tangible in that sense as well. And I think that in that sense, you know, I'm using sensual in 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 its purest form. There, it yeah. is. You know, this is this is effort, and this is an experience of the senses. And, yeah, you have and, to get your hands in, and that's and that's the dirt, and that's the dirty you're describing. I think. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. So it's not a question of you know, and it's funny we already got called out. Somebody on so actually, I love I love it when shit like this happens. Somebody on Twitter <laughs> saw that I had posted a panel from issue three, mm-hmm. where we're using um, a rune, an established rune uh, called Burkano, mm-hmm. and they had tweeted, "Why are you using Burkano? That's not black magic." And I said, "It's the title of the book." <laughs> <laughs> And the response was, oh, well, I haven't read it. And it's like, then shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Get in there and criticize the choice if you don't know what the choice is. Oh, boy. It's an ill-informed, you know, it's an (laughs) ill-informed criticism. And and, and the the reason that that galls me is because Nicola and I, and, and, and in particular also our editor, Janine Schaefer, are actually working very, very hard to ground our use of magic 
an, an extant occult belief. And we're yeah. trying to be very respectful and honor that. This is not, and this is why I hesitated at the word dirty, right? right. Because yeah. I didn't, I, I really stress that this is never meant to be pejorative. It is, you know, it, it's anything but. And this is, you know, this is, a, this is a system of faith for a lot of people, a lot more people than you would think. Yeah. And it matters not to demean it or diminish it. And to and we're recognize... also not limited to one school of magical theory, right? You know, we're 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 dealing with with characters and a history that it's quite relevant for them to have many different sources of information and training. Definitely. Well, for that moron on Twitter, let's edit, let's educate the son of a bitch, shall we? Let's uh, the series the series follow, follows Rowan Black, who's actually trying to balance her life as a detective with the life of witchcraft. So, given that, you really had to kind of create two casts of characters at the same time. So, what was your thought process for both of you going into the early issues of the series? Well, I mean, I knew the people that I wanted to surround Rowan with, and I had an idea very early on of, of where the tensions were going to be and sort of who the key players were in sort of each facet of her life. You know, so that, that, that process is, is informed both by, well, what does the story need and, and who are these people that are speaking to me? So, for instance, when I, you know, when I was going through when I was creating The Detectives and The Squad, that was me very actively going, oh, you know, I want to balance this character with this. What's an interesting partner dynamic? You know, what yeah. if, you know, who is this person in relation to this person? What are these relationships like? And that, that feeds that development process, right? If I say, well, this guy is, um, you know, he's, he's a police detective, but he's an army vet. And he's actually really PTSD, but he's been working really hard to deal with it. But he's mm. not dealing with it in a healthy fashion. Who is a good partner pairing that will create that drama? You know that that will that that should I want to tap that will be able to to spin it out. What is the backstory between characters? So in that sense, it's it's actually that's a lot of fun for me. You know, sitting there and typing up bios, and I can do that all afternoon. You know, sit there and be like, here's the hardest part of that for me is coming up with character names, frankly, <laughs> um, with the coven life. That has been a little more challenging because in that sense, I really wanted members of Rowan's coven outside of Alex, who we really, nobody's met yet. These are people who don't share the same history with her and are coming from a, you know, they've all come around sort of a, a practice of what we call Gardnerian uh, derived Wicca. Uh, or at least mm. Gardnerian-influenced Wicca. But they're all coming to it for different reasons and from different places. So that there are members of the coven who are there because um, they were looking for something and this is the thing they found. Yeah. There are people there because this is the thing that is answering a need they have. Uh, so it's not experimental. It's deeply spiritual. There are people who are there because they kind of like the idea of standing around naked and looking at other people standing nope. around naked, and they ain't going to be there for long. You know what I mean? And again, that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of sort of spade work and foundation work that doesn't necessarily, a lot of it's subtextual. You know, a lot of it may yeah. not ever be evident in the book. 
Nick knows a lot of this stuff because I think it helps inform how she, you know, she, Nick's response, I'm the writer, right? Nick and maybe like co-director and Nick is co-director, director of photography, every actor, the, you know, key grip, the gaffer, mm. the lighting specialist, the effects team, the stunt team. If you, if you use a film analogy, she's doing everything else. It reads so, that way too, which is very cool. Oh, yeah, it's, oh, great. So it makes me feel like I'm just sitting uh, arson around and she's doing all the work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's very, it's very cinematic. The way the story is told is what I meant. Well, I think I, I, I would not disagree with that. I think that um, Nicola, you can mute us all if you want. Um, but I, I think she's doing uh, unquestionably the finest work of her career. And I think artistically, this is just stunning storytelling. I really... I really think it's outstanding. Thanks. Um, Thank you. But to, to bring it all the way around, so, you know, if I can arm her as much ammunition as she needs, and then she can pick and choose what, yeah. you know, what, what do I need to, to bring this character to life? What do, I, mm -hmm. what do I want to convey in this moment, in this place, at this time? And I think that, um, you know, that, that's, that, that's just my job, man, so... I want to build on what you said, Greg, about that tension. And so in issue one, we see, you know, of course, Rowan finds himself in the middle of that hostage crisis. And it's yeah. just the tension is just filled up to the final page. It's released. You know, that, that final page is that releasing of that tension. So as a writer, how do you dictate the proper place to relieve tension like that? And does the type of book you're working on change where you place it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, any comic is an exercise in pacing. Some, I know some writers who take the the task of crafting each page so that you must turn to the next. Right. Uh, incredibly, uh, that, that was always at the front of their mind, that, that almost every choice they make is driven by what is the page turn. Mm -hmm. um, I am less obsessive about that than I am trying to be cognizant on a, on, on a more, I guess, holistic or total level of what, of what the floppy reading experience should be. And, you know, all stories are, 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 all stories are, are, are exercises in pace, uh, you know, to, to one extent or another. Issue one of Black Magic is a very deliberate pacing exercise, if nothing else. It's really only three locations. It's really... Uh, an initial scene that kind of serves to put the reader a little off balance and to set up the denouement in, in a way that is so that there's an active question running. Mm -hmm. um, and then the main movement of the book is in two places, your inside and your outside of, of, of the Buddy Burger. Yeah. Um, and within the Buddy Burger, there's really two discrete locations that, that bleed together. Oh, yeah. So it, it, versus, say, you know, when issue two, when people read issue two, we're moving all over the place in issue two. You know, issue two starts in and Rowan's three, house. And four. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, are, oh, we are far more. Though five narrows it again. The majority a little. Of, well, the majority of action <laughs> in five is, is contained it's around really one, one, one place. Sure, All right. that's set up for issue four, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, 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 am I hearing a a, a, a complaint there, Ms. Scott? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
not at all. Would you like to, would you like to file a complaint with the uh, with the management here? Um, no, no, not at all. No, I, I love the I love the fresh locations, but yeah, fresh locations, man. Well, and and that's another element of the pacing, right? So I, I think I think we worked collectively very hard on making sure that the first issue not only paced sort of briskly, but paced with an inevitability because it is really building to this one moment. Mm -hmm. And then you hit that moment and kind of ideally are left a little reeling by it. Right. You know, you come out of it and there's literally one other thing. And it's just like, what, 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 what? Yeah. And, and, and a somewhat cryptic last line. And, you know, that, I mean, come on, it's an issue one. We're trying to bait a really big hook. Right. Um, and, and, and trying to snag you with it and hopefully do so well enough that we buy some goodwill that you'll be interested in picking up, it, if not the next one, at least the next couple and, and, and see where we're going and give it a try. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a crowded market and it's a busy market and there's a lot of quality out there. There's a lot of crap out there too. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. but, but there's an <laughs> awful lot of quality. And, um, and sadly, it seems to be that it's quality competing with quality. The crap books seem to be doing fine for the most part. Go figure. Um, <laughs> so, like I say, you know, I, I'm, it's something I'm always cognizant of. I think you see again, and I think, and I think Nick would agree, issue five is another, um, is really built as another ratcheting tension pacing yeah. exercise that again has sort of a dramatic tension release and then quiets down into another hook um, and that's very deliberate as well because as of issue five we're off for effectively three months that's our first break that's our first trade break oh wow so so Nicola now while a lot of the series is in black and white I noticed that the only time a page ever goes full color is when Rowan is using her magic so will we see more of that as the series progresses and is it tied to the colors I should say tied to her using her magic Yeah we're we're still sort of really refining the rules of when and how color should be applied I feel like once we get to, you know, maybe the end of issue three or four, um, possibly the end of five, if you go back and start looking at uh, the beginning from issue one, you'll start noticing the the more subtle moments of colour, where they are and what that might mean. So it's it's going to very, very slowly sort of reveal itself. There's there's very, very little colour opportunity in issue two for a very specific reason. And then there's a number of specific moments for it in issue three. It's not as clear cut as people will first necessarily uh, think it is. There there will be sort of variety and and movement amongst it. That all makes in story logic, but it might take a little while for people to start seeing the rules. And you were saying you're very respectful of the magic itself. And in the first couple of issues, we don't really get a whole lot of information on how Rowan came to know about her magic or about her past. Is this something we're going to find out more about in future issues, I'm guessing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Read the back matter. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, you know, you see a family tree. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, 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 definitely. yeah. That, that we do have, yeah. So, yeah, essentially this is a moment in time of a really old story. Yeah. Yep. And that, come, that old story will have moments of uh, modern relevance. I can tell you're trying really hard not to spoil this for everybody. Well, I mean, it's, you know, you're asking an interesting question because it's as if to say... You're, you're applying almost a Harry Potter paradigm, right? That, that Rowan was going along in, in her life in a merry way, and then at the age of uh, 11, 12, 13, 15, or whatnot, um, somebody sat her down and said, here's your, here's your broom, you know? <laughs> here's what you can do, right? And that isn't, that's not her experience. She right. was born into this. Right, that's what I'm saying. The, the so best part never, about it is that we don't really know. Yeah, so there's never actually been a moment in her life where her faith has not been legitimate and the practice of magic has not been uh, embodiment of that faith, you know, uh, which is not to say, you know, though, though it would be a fun little throwaway story to do, you know, five-year-old Rowan casting her first spell, you know, because she wanted more sugar. Right on, yeah. on the cereal right. or whatnot, but um, you know, but this is this is just part of who she is. I think what's a more interesting moment in her growth is the moment where she, the moment where she became uncomfortable with it, the moment where she tried to separate herself, the moment that she said, "I'm going to be a cop. I want to be a cop." See, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. See, that's what I'm driving yeah. at. That that is that that is an interesting. An interesting character moment and an interesting question, and I'm not sure we're ever gonna. I'm not sure we're ever gonna go into a flashback. Uh, I, I do feel that we'll explicate that somewhat. Mm-hmm. We've got some interesting things going on with time in 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 this series. You know, there there is a legacy as as Nicola just mentioned, and so one. When we have the opportunity to go back in time in the story, it actually makes far more sense for us to go back several hundred years, not to go back three years, five years. Um, And within the confines of the 30, roughly 30 issues that Nicola and I have planned for this, there's not really a place that we're intending to do that. We have talked about doing some ancillary work that would. Um, but for the main story here, for Rowan's story, it, her story is very much in the present. This is, this is beginning with issue one, beginning at Maven, moving forward, and, and, and what happens as a result. So. so where can people find you on social media right now? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Rucka Writer, all one word, and they can find me on Instagram at Rucka Writer, all one word, and uh, my Tumblr is going fallow probably for the next several weeks because I am uh, I am I am head down doing a lot of work. But if they're looking for me on Tumblr, they can find me at um, you'll never guess. I think it's Rucka Writer. <laughs> How surprising! Yeah, Black Magic also has its own Tumblr, um, Black Magic Comic, which uh, which our editor Janine Schaefer curates. And uh, let's see, anywhere else? That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I think that's more than enough. 
Yeah, yeah, it is more than enough because I, I, I find handling social media is one of those tricky things, sort of having the time to invest in it. I try to keep my computers off as much as possible. But generally people can find me uh, at Nicholas Scott Art or one word uh, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. Now, guys, this is a, this is a series. Seriously, you really need to add to your poll if you haven't already. It's called Black Magic from Image Comics. Issue 1 and 2 are actually available right now. Issue 3, yep, you're going to have to wait until December 30th for that. So, Greg Rucka, Nicholas Scott, thank you so much for Been spending time having us, fellas. Yeah, thank you. Well, James, I'm going to dive into my spell book after that interview with Greg and Nicola, and I'm going to make sure to put a spell on you to never forget to bring me goddamn pumpkin bread when your wife fucking makes it! Noted. Okay. Noted. That's good. <laughs> Again, thanks to Greg Rucka and Nicola Scott for coming on. We actually recorded that interview on Tuesday, of course, before the whole Thanksgiving rush, so we thank them for, at least for Greg, because they don't celebrate Thanksgiving down in Australia. Nope, Nicola's not going to celebrate, so it's just going to be a regular old Thursday for her. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no day off, no nothing, just, I don't know, what do they do in Australia? But why an interview, though? I mean, we didn't get a lot of questions in there, but just the information we got was awesome. I mean, the fact that they respect the subject matter that oh, much, yes. I think that if you're a fan of, of that genre, I think that alone should make you want to pick up this book. But even if you're if you're kind of on the fence about the genre, the story is so well told and it's very it almost reads episodic like a TV show like I was saying or almost like a movie where it's like it's structured so perfectly. Yeah. It makes you want to read on, and it really just the, it makes sense. And I want you to pick up that next issue. Well, yeah, and when Greg said, you know, if you really look at it, you really read the book, and you look at the settings, there's really only like one or two places the series really, at least certain issues, mm-hmm. take place. And it kind of works to me. I, want, I didn't get to say this, but to me, I was thinking this when he said it, it works a little bit like a bottle film. Like yeah. when she's in that fast food joint in the first issue, and it's like it's very bottled in. And you don't know, will she get out? Or what's going to happen? And then what happens in the end, you don't want to spoil it, even though it's issue one and issue two is already out. But the thing is, what happens in the end and the way that they actually use the colors is... Just, it's an amazing thing. Like, because it catches you totally off guard. You don't expect it. Not only that, but then to bring it back to the end of issue two, if you've been reading the series already, the way it ties into issue one so beautifully. And there's a certain uh, bureau in issue two that makes an appearance that I think there's a little bit more to them. And I think they're going to be a little pain in the thorn the side of Rowan as the I, series goes forward. I can forward. tell you right now, I think that one of her uh, Wiccan buddies is going to play a little bit bigger of a role, too. I can't exactly. quite put my finger on it yet, but she's, I just, something's not stirring the Kool-Aid there, man. I know, man. But again, it's just, it's so good. You, know, you, look, at, you look at other, you know, things like, you know, you got Harold County, you got, you know, Black Magic. It's a really good time for this time of genre oh, no of, doubt about of things. It. You know, as we mentioned earlier in the show, we reviewed Jessica Jones. And even that kind of has a little bit of a noir P.I. Oh, feel yeah. to it. it. There were some very big similarities there yeah. for me when I was reading Black Magic. I'm like, huh, this is timely. Yeah. This is interesting. <laughs> and it's not it's not completely similar, but there's no. similar themes yeah. there, especially with the David Tennant character, I think. Exactly. And, I, again, you know, uh, thanks to Nicola and Greg for coming on. So if you haven't gone out and gotten the first two issues, be sure to go get them. Of course, even if you picked up issue one, be sure to get out issue two, which is out now. Remember, issue three comes out December 30th, 30th, but hey, I know Christmas is the 25th. 
However, it doesn't mean you can't pre-order it. That's right. You pre-order it. You know, you get the little stocking stuffer yep. item there. Hey, you want to print out the receipt that you pre-ordered issue three? doesn't matter. Well, my ex, I did that once. I actually got her a book. And I actually showed up and just gave her the receipt, and she's like, "Oh my god, thank you!" Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's, hey, it just works just as well. I did the same thing with concert tickets for Pam once. Yeah, you don't actually have the tickets, so I had to print out the you have ordered these <laughs> tickets. Kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, done. Hey, that's doable, and they're gonna appreciate it because Black Magic is one of those series where. I mean, you know Greg Rucky. You know the name from Star Wars Shattered Empire and a ton of other stuff that oh, he's yeah. done. But this is something that's totally different that you're really going to dig. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't know Nicholas Scott's art, get ready to go on a ride, one, man, because oh, yeah. it's amazing. One final thing I want to say before we close about Nicholas Scott's art is when you look, one thing I, that I felt she did really well is the facial expressions. Oh, yeah. It's, especially on the close-ups. Because it's, when you look at certain people's eyes and the way she draws just the eyes you get a sense of like you're peering into their soul oh, like you, no you get a sense of like there's more to this person even if they're in this for like a little bit or whatever or you got an idea like maybe what you're thinking or maybe you're thinking regret you know just a sense of fear mm-hmm. I'll go back to that first issue when she's you see the person who started the whole hostage crisis and there's more to him in the second issue as we find out oh yeah uh, you're looking at he has that general sense of fear in his eyes and you're like wow this is a guy who might you know, as Greg said, he kind of has that PTSD kind of look. Like, he doesn't know what's going on. He just wants it to end. And the best thing about this series is not just in the art, but also in the writing. No even minute detail is left unattended. I exactly. love it. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Greg Rucka and Nicholas Scott from Image Comics' Black Magic for coming on the show this week. And we all hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you didn't die during Black Friday. Yeah, that would be good. You know, if you value your life, you might want to wait till Cyber Monday, because that's when really all the good stuff goes on sale. I do all my shopping online. Yep. At the Down and Nerdy Podcast Store, by the way. Yeah. Exactly. You go, you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash downnerdy. There's a little shop button you can hit that takes you right to our store, of course, powered by Amazon. So, hey, you buy stuff, we get a little bit of a kickback, and it helps us out, and it helps out the show because, you know, we got bills and shit. Yeah, not only that, but you can also follow us on Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm at James Ace with him. And, Nick, I know you're on Twitter as well, aren't you? I am at Merc with one arm. Thank you, Mr. Jimmy. Um. <laughs> it just sounds wrong. It does. It just sounds so wrong. We just can't go with one show that's unperverted. Well, you know what's right is going to our website too, downandnerdypodcast.com. There's a ton of stuff up there for you. Find out what's on this week's show. Yep. You can also get an Amazon store on there as well. Yeah, Amazon store on there. Also, you, if you go to our website, downandnerdypodcast.com, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime. It helps the show out as well when you do that, so please go do that as well. Also, on there we have what else is James and Nick reading? We do two written reviews each week from different comics that we don't do on the show. So, hey, go to the, the What We're Reading section on the page of the website, and then you get to see, hey, what else are these guys reading? And, hey, it's three paragraphs long. gives you all the details you need. I mean, it's gift-giving season for nerds. you oh, got to yeah. know what books you should be buying your nerd buddies and which ones you shouldn't. So read our reviews. We're going to help you out. We don't want you... Give, friends don't give friends bad books, okay? No, friends buy friends long boxes to put books in. That's right, exactly. And you can probably get those at our shop. <laughs> and, of course, you know, Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics exactly. and also has that kind of stuff for you, so there you exactly. go. Exactly, and that being said, I leave you with the words I leave you with almost every week, nerds. Practice safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics. <laughs>